All Year I Dream About Gaming Conventions. Welcome everyone to All Year I Dream About Gaming Conventions, the podcast you didn't know you needed about Gen Con, Origins Game Fair, PAX Unplugged, and beyond. I'm your host, Quarex. And I'm your other host, Ben. This episode, we have a convention report from somewhere in the Midwest that isn't Indianapolis, as well as the first half of our late-breaking Gen Con updates that our dreamers demand. Hey, Quarex, didn't you go to a convention recently? I did. I went to QuadCon. I had basically no idea what to expect from QuadCon, given their strategy is to run conventions like every few weeks through the whole year, just kind of moving around Minnesota, Wisconsin, Illinois, Missouri, Iowa, alternating between convention centers and malls for the venue. So where were you? I went to the QuadCon in Davenport, Iowa of the Quad Cities. I was actually pretty impressed by like the variety and the quality of the vendors because I've seen some pretty sad vendors in my time but they were all very like professional had a lot of interesting stuff for sale the vintage console gaming area was cool and there was like, a random 20 foot tall inflatable Mario that's how you know it's quality generally just a really positive atmosphere so what would you recommend that our dreamers do if they have an opportunity to attend one of these quad cons because there were people cosplaying, I think it definitely counts as a real convention, and therefore a real gaming convention, because there was gaming going on. I even saw the Iowa Ghostbusters, which, hey, that's a thing. You should really check one out if you get the chance, because especially since they're going to be programmed many parts of the year where there isn't anything else going on, since they cover five states, even if those five states to you, Ben, might as well be Alaska, Hawaii, Guam, that's not a state. We're going to transition into the fast-moving world of Gen Con Indie News. Why are we breaking this into two episodes? Originally, we intended to make it a single episode, but you know what? There's just too much to talk about. Can't we just make, like, one long episode? Our goal for this show is to make episodes that are easy for our dreamers to digest and quickly. We'd rather have two shorter episodes than one long episode where we ramble on and on. Hey. Instead of giving you the quick hits that you can listen to. The good news is, the food truck list did finally appear, just as we warned you that it might. So where are the food trucks this year? Their new location is on South Street. It's pretty close to the block party. I mean, it's right between the convention center and the Lucas Oil Arena. And where can our dreamers find the list of food trucks? The official post was at the end of the Gen Con blog post about the block party. There's a link. I could spell it out like it's 1995, but I'll just put it in the show notes. Or you could Google it. We mentioned our food truck thoughts in episode 6, but of course now we have a fuller list. So, I don't know, do you want to do you want to talk about your favorites? So the first one that really caught my eye was El Venezolano, which is Venezuelan food, largely arepas, which are good street food. Uh, there are some vegan options. If you're trying to go there during lunch, you're not going to be able to find it, but they are there in the evening, and I would highly recommend checking it out. It is some very tasty food. I was looking at Earl B's Catering because it's just basically good southern food, smoked meat, cobbler, a thing called the breakfast fatty, which is what I am every morning. Between that and <laughs> being a good, a good replacement, I hope, for a Sugar Fire Smokehouse, which was my favorite Indianapolis restaurant for like the two years it existed. Yeah, I'm pretty stoked for this. Another one is Samano's, which is a food truck that looks to emulate a taqueria in El Teafe. Uh, for those gringos out there, it's El Distrito Federal de la Ciudad de Mexico. They look to have a lot of really good Mexican food. It's very much up my alley, and so I would check it out. Uh, unlike El Venezolano, it looks like they are there all day. 
I now want to talk about Helm Coffee because I've pretty much always had good luck with coffee food trucks, so I'm just going to assume, especially given their like formal arrangement with Gen Con, that this is this is good stuff. Plus, I have been a paladin adherent of Helm on more than one occasion, so I should really check out their affiliated coffee. So beyond food trucks, there are some late-breaking restaurant recommendations. Corex, I understand that you've been listening to more than just episode six of our back episodes. That's right. I pretty much listened to all of them again and, you know, went through our recommendations. So here's what I've determined. The Hyatt restaurants are still one of the best-kept secrets at Gen Con. There's Fat Rooster, which has a breakfast buffet and, uh, like, a build-your-own pasta bar for lunch, which I'm not going to say it's unique to Fat Rooster, but I haven't seen one of those anywhere else, and it's good. And most importantly, it's somehow never crowded, even though it's, like, right across the street from the convention center. I'm sure it's because it's a hotel restaurant and people don't realize how good those can be. You know, if anybody is interested in pizza, do you have any recommendations for that? Amusingly enough, there's also a pizza place in the Hyatt that I have heard, though been unable to confirm, occasionally stays open super late during Gen Con because I guess the owner likes making money. So yeah, you might want to keep an eye on that also. And speaking of staying open weird hours, this one is confirmed. The subway in the Hyatt Regency is staying open 24 hours during Gen Con. Oh my goodness, I'm going to eat so many subs at 3 in the morning. Game changed. The Gen Con program has also been released. It's worth checking out. Quarex, you're going to drop that in the show notes, just like the, the Gen Con blog. They really knocked it out of the park this year with some gorgeous cover art. Looking through it, you're going to see some key maps. You'll get some important information. There's a fair bit of the advertisements, but that's part and parcel of being able to get, get this free program. If there's anything that has ads in it targeted generally to my demographic, I mean, you know, this is it. My suggestion is to read the Code of Conduct, as always. I don't want to have to ask someone to be escorted from an event this year, though the odds of anyone being as drunk again as that guy at the auction seem fairly minimal, as fun as it was having it, someone yell out, $100! every time a new item came up. The Pin Bazaar also came out. Apparently we're pinning our hopes on reselling some of these. Yeah, I feel like just like when you got into magic in the early days, you could basically guarantee buy as many of these as you want and sell them for like a 25% markup. Fortunately, it doesn't seem like people are doing that. You've seen on eBay how much the carpet pins were going for last year. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's one of those areas where the rare pins actually are treated as rare because they are. Unfortunately, our friend and future podcast guest Matt from Hit Him With A Shoe Games doesn't look like he's got a booth this year or a pin to sell this year. We're going to take you through some of our favorite non-rares. Much like everything else, we'll drop a link in the show description so you can take a look at all these things and see what's going on. My favorite one is Dead Alive Games, the confused moon that, like all strange round faces, looks like me. For me, Eclipse Press has a really cool phoenix-looking pin, and if there's anything I'm a sucker for, it's phoenixes. I do like Legion Supplies with their counterspell soup. Realistically, it's my favorite design, but I had to go with the one that looked like me for my number one recommendation. 1985 Games has a D&D sorcery pin. It's like a newspaper dating back to the satanic panic of the 1980s, fitting for a company that's named after 1985. It really dials up some nostalgia for me. Yeah, the one thing my mom ever listened to the moral majority about was D&D, briefly, so I, I hear you. I'm going to give my third nod to Evergreen Burrow with the world's okayest game master, because world's okayest anything is... Yeah, I'm down with that. Number three for me, Beezier Games has a pin that has otters with moving tails, which is just, you know, if, if it works out, is just so cool. 
Corex, I see that there are rares on the list. How does one get one of those? You basically just show your proofs of purchase for your other pins, and you redeem, depending on how many you want, 7, 13, 18, or 24 pin proof of purchases for varying numbers of random pins. If you get 24, then they give you all the rares and one ultra rare. And if you show up to the daily trading session at the Horseshoe in Lucas Oil North Plaza, 3.30 every day, but Sunday at 2.30, you also get a free pin for attending. I'm one of those people who stopped buying pins when he filled up his daily driver messenger bag, but I have been thinking about carrying two messenger bags lately they seem like dice you just can't get enough of them it's hard because they keep coming and they always look even nicer than the last one you bought next episode we're finishing with our late breaking updates with new releases events worthy of your generic tickets things that slipped our minds and that hot 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 cost we promised you back in episode 10 greetings from the end of the episode weary traveler Perhaps you would like to examine my social media wares, all gathered at linktr.ee slash dreamaboutgamingconventions. We sell everything, from Instagram to Facebook to YouTube. Soon we may have whatever tip jar the kids are using these days. All music for this episode was composed by Quarex. Except for Adidas, courtesy freemidi.org. Come on, ride it, courtesy bitmidi.com. All editing for this episode was by Ben.